0: Welcome to the 1M Strong Podcast. I am Marvin Harris, your host. 1M Strong is dedicated to building stronger small businesses. We talk with entrepreneurs and the people who support the small businesses behind the business to learn how to build and grow sustainable businesses. On today's 1M Strong Podcast, we have Angela Grayson, IP attorney for Precipice IP. Angela is an advisor and patent attorney for my startup, Oval's. She's going to talk to us today about how small businesses can protect their ideas with trademarks, patents, and copyrights to become stronger. Welcome to the One i Strong podcast, Angela.
1: Thank you, Marvin. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, I follow uh, Oval's and I follow you on LinkedIn. I absolutely love everything that your company is doing, but of course I'm biased. Uh, but- <laughs> just a
0: tad, <laughs> just a tad.
1: <laughs> just a tad. Um, just a tad. But- But but I'm really impressed with what you are carving out uh, in the market with regard to the business. So congratulations on everything that you've done thus far.
0: Well, thank you. And uh, I I give you the 20 bucks I owe you for saying that after the show. (laughs) Um, But kind of talk to us about your background and how you help small businesses become stronger.
1: Yeah, well, thank you uh, for inviting me and and thank you for that question. So first of all, anyone who has um, done any research on precipice or or me uh, knows that I really love what I do. At least I hope it comes through, that I'm really passionate about this. So I am a patent attorney uh, by training. I really refer to myself as a technology lawyer because what we try to do is we try and help Science and technology startups protect their products, brands, designs, and data. And mm-hmm. notice I didn't say that, you know, we help uh, science and technology uh, businesses uh, with their patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. Right. Because business is all about products, brands, designs, and data. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is we want to use intellectual property to protect those things uh, from a holistic perspective. Um, my background, I am originally from Mississippi. And even though I don't hear my Southern accent, whenever I hear playback, it's pretty, pretty pronounced. Um, Even though I've lived a lot of different places, I am a Southern girl at heart. Um, I have a uh, bachelor's and a master's degree in chemistry. And then I went on to law school. Um, After I finished law school, I started at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office as a patent examiner. And from there, I went um, to what we call an in-house career. So I worked with a number of multinational companies like Pfizer and Eli Lilly, Walmart, DuPont, um, as a corporate attorney doing uh, patent and IP work. Um, In about 2015, I stood up Precipice IP as a side hustle. I'm all about the side hustle for people who have full-time jobs who might wanna be an entrepreneur. So I started Precipice as my side hustle in 2015 and then left corporate America in 2016 to work on the business full time. Um, It has been quite the learning opportunity for me because even though I was in corporate America, I didn't lead a business. Um, So being an entrepreneur was a a learning curve that I had to take on. Uh, I felt like I was pretty good at the law, but I totally blew when it came to running a business. And my husband would be like, so you're... Agreements and forms look really good, honey, but when are you going to start sales? I'm like, sales? People are just going to like flock to my door. So um, there was really a lot of learning uh, to be done. And I totally, because I'm a geek, I have loved every moment of learning how to run a business. I've loved every moment of uh, figuring out how to put clients and, and team first. I really loved every moment of this transformation of being an entrepreneur. So that's kind of my story.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So let's jump right in it uh, from a standpoint of small businesses. Like if you were to give one tip on what they should be thinking about as they go down the journey of deciding, should I trademark, should I patent? should I copyright? You know, before we start recording, we were talking about people are being really innovative right now out of necessity. So how do you turn that into an opportunity for yourself? And when should you think about that?
1: Wow, what a great question. Mm. So first of all, necessity is the mother of invention. I think we've all heard that expression before, right? So it's not uncommon that people are innovating around needs. But it's funny you mentioned that particular question. I wrote a blog post on my uh, website, precipiceip.com. And I think the post is titled, you know, if necessity is the mother of invention, then who's your daddy? And so the daddy, right, your daddy is really the customer. It's figuring out what your customers want and what your customers need. So if you are innovating around a problem and a solution and comma, that solution is what your customers want, or you are figuring out what they want. Once you understand that that solution has some monetary value, then it would behoove you to think about protecting the intellectual property around it. Now, you might have some internal data that might suggest that you might actually do some external uh, research and, and um trials. But once you understand that there is commercial value in that solution, again, whether it's an internal thing that you figured out or whether you've done customer testing, then it's probably a good idea to start that process or start talking to somebody about protecting that intellectual property.
0: So let's dive into something you said about monetary value. So how would they go about assessing if it has monetary value and is there a, a metric in terms of, or some process you would kind of valuation, like, okay, if it's worth a million or like that, that might be difficult for a small business owner to kind of think through. Yeah. So,
1: so you know, I'm not necessarily talking about forecasting tools or anything as complicated as that, okay. but say, for example, if you have a website and you're selling a product and uh, that product seems to be selling pretty well, um, there's some indication that that might actually be a product that's meeting a customer's needs or that might be a brand that customers are identifying, right? Um, if you're on social media and people are really excited, you know, that that's a potential metric. Um, you know, whether or not there is some demand or some excitement around it, you know, you can you can sort of uh, think about, uh, translating that demand into, you know, potential, oh, you know, there may be something here. Now, what you don't want to do, what you have to be careful is like people who go on large scale platforms like Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, if you've got a brand that you are thinking about going on Kickstarter with um, and you think there is a potential to be really successful. It's probably a good idea to speak with an attorney before you do that, because then you cross the line of okay. There is this there is this wide um, exposure, and you might also be exposed to bad actors, right? The people that might go to the Patent and Trademark Office to get a jump on a brand that you may not have tried to register a trademark for, or you know they may go to the pat- Patent and Trademark Office and file a provisional application on some product that you're selling. So you, you have to use some measure of common sense. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're not, it's not raining money on us. So we have to to make these trade-offs. Um, there is obviously, you know, if budget is, is is a concern. There's nothing that stops people from going to the trademark office and filing their own trademarks. Okay. Uh, there's nothing that stops you from going to the patent office. Now, again, you know, the likelihood that that intellectual property legal protection will be as good as someone who does this all day, every day might not be so fantastic, but it, right. you know it's, it might right. be better than nothing. But that's what I would say because it's important for people to realize that while uh, protecting intellectual property is important, um, it, they are commercial tools. Mm. So, so I wouldn't necessarily advocate someone who's tinkering in their garage to constantly go to the patent office and file patents if they have no interest in licensing or commercializing that idea. And same with with trademarks. Trademarks protect uh, the source of products and services. So if you're not planning to sell products and services under that brand name, there's probably no real reason to go to the trademark office. So it is a balance. It it is all about customer acquisition and e-commerce and commerce. So, um, you know, if you if you feel like the product or service that you're working on has some value for your customers and there's a business opportunity, I would suggest businesses seriously think about protecting the property around that.
0: So I want to kind of dive into another topic, which is I've 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 been always sort of online for stuff. And one thing I came across about two weeks ago was they have all this. The government or these states have these. These uh, intellectual things they want to commercialize. Now, for small businesses, is that a mechanism to potentially leverage that to create commercializing, commercial, excuse me, products that could be commercialized from existing uh, inventions that are just sitting there that you can leverage or how would they even look into that?
1: So are you asking like about utilizing university technology? Yeah,
0: university technology or even through the federal government. Uh, there's a website. Uh, it, it leaves me right now, but they have, a. they said, oh, we have all this technology. We would love it to get commercialized, like through SBIR or, or things of that nature, which um, what what's your take on leveraging those public resources to potentially create, uh, you know, high value for yourself. So.
1: I think it's really a um, it, it it is something to be considered in your overall intellectual property strategy. Mm-hmm. Understand that when you borrow, because that's what it is, unless you're buying the technology outright, mm-hmm. you're borrowing technology through a license, and they're okay. offering license this technology to you in exchange for royalties in exchange for improvements, right? So it can be a very expensive way. Okay. To stand up a business, I personally would not, and and I'm actually on the board of uh, of some uh, university, uh, so I'm I'm going to make sure that I walk the line appropriately. Um, I think it can be great. I don't know if I if I were in business, if I would want to stand up a business that was entirely around borrowed technology. I mean, that, you know, that seems like a risky thing because you will have to pay royalty, uh, running royalties probably. You may have to pay milestone payments. Um, you may be, you know, in the in the license agreement, you might be required to um, give them improvements. So as you're actually making this product or making this product available for your customers, if you uh, come across improvements to that, those improvements might be owned by the by the company that provided you with the license. So um, there may be a very small opportunity to own that technology or technology that springs from that. but it, but at the same time, if you have a business that that has core technology that you own, And this license is a great ancillary fit, it's complementary to what you're doing or what you're planning to do. Then I think that might be even more interesting because, uh, you know, we talked a little bit off camera about the idea of diversifying a portfolio so that not all of your eggs are in one basket. Mm -hmm. I think the same can be true when it comes to a licensing strategy.
0: Okay. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Um, so, and if you don't adopt that and you say, well, I want my core business to be around this sexy technology that the federal government owns, um, then you need to understand the potential puts and takes around how expensive that might be and what you may have to give up in terms of the future. A lot of times, too, <clears throat> with universities, <clears throat> you may have to reimburse them for um, patent costs related to international patent prosecution which can be very, very, very expensive. If you think of uh, U.S. uh, patent work is expensive. So it really really depends on what your overall business strategy is. But I'm a very uh, firm believer in trying to diversify a portfolio as much as reasonable. And I don't know that you would want to put all of your eggs kind of in that one basket.
0: No, no, no. That makes sense. So, if if you were to kind of step back a little bit for those in the audience that may not know what a trademark means, a patent means, a copyright. Could you just give them a quick overview of the difference and when you know when one is right for you versus the other? Yeah.
1: So why don't we go back to this whole notion that we protect products, brands, designs, and data? Right. Mm-hmm. So everybody is probably aware of what a brand is. You know, it's yes. it's it's your logo. It's kind of the shorthand. Mm-hmm. Name that you may give your company or a product, um, things like that. Brands can be protected by trademarks. Oh. Trademarks are uh, source identifiers for products and services. So think of the nickname. So let's say you make this pen, a pen. Um, you might call this uh, this pen uh, the Nicole, right? You might have a oh. Nicole collection in your company. <laughs> well, the Nicole is the brand for the pen. It's sort of shorthand for the product, and it's also shorthand for saying you make this company, you make this product. Um, when it comes to trademarks, looking back at this conversation about the pen, uh, excuse me, patents. Uh, when you when you think about products, mm-hmm. products can be protected by patents, and patents can protect uh, things that are useful. It can protect the design aesthetic of something. So if there is some unique functionality about how this pen works, how it functions, you might be able to protect that with a patent. And a patent is something that uh, protects processes, uh, compositions of matter, articles of manufacture that are new and useful and not obvious. Uh, You can also protect the design of this pen with design patents as well. Um, And if this pen were actually growing in the ground, it might be a plant and you could protect it with a plant pattern too. Uh, When it comes to um, designs, we talk about helping people protect their designs. You sometimes think about creative. So if you're doing videos to get your customers, uh, right, if you're creating a marketing flower, if you're doing videos, if uh, you've got website, right, and you have all this beautiful copy, Uh, Copyrights can protect what I call kind of designs. Um, Copyright protection is really powerful and the the application is not uh, very complicated, but um, it really protects original works of authorship and it can protect you if someone is copying your uh, creative if they are distributing it without your consent and a number of other uh, kinds of things. And then there are also uh, trade secrets um, so trade secrets can protect uh, things in the company that have value and the value is derived from it being secret. So there's some monetary competitive values, say, for example, in your marketing plans and your marketing strategy, your business strategy, um, who your vendors are, potentially you may want to hold that as a trade secret. Those things that um, give you competitive advantage that people uh, don't really widely need to know Um, that can be protected by trade secrets with reasonable measures in place. So that's kind of the umbrella of intellectual property and kind of how we can apply to -to day-to-day business.
0: Okay. So, you know, all of us have dreams to grow, scale, sometimes sell. So if you're kind of going through that journey, uh, what advice would you give small businesses that are in that growth phase in terms of how these you know, employing these strategies could lead them to more value down the road if they sell their business versus not doing it at all and how it could inhibit them from selling your business.
1: You know, I have seen, and and this is anecdotal, in my Mm -hmm. world, when people start to scale along that J curve, Mm -hmm. um, people don't think about protecting intellectual property as much. They're Mm -hmm. really going, and what I personally find is that they are executing on a lot of the strategies that they worked on when the company was early stage. Mm-hmm. So if, if if I were advising, and, and again, I too am a business owner, <clears throat> I'm probably not a startup because a startup is a company in search of a business model, right? So mm-hmm. I think I've got my business model, but companies that are sort of looking for that should give themselves runway when it comes to intellectual property. So, you know, what is your brand? How will you protect that? What is your brand strategy? So let's get some trademarks uh, registered around that. And give yourself a little bit of room to grow. You know, and one of the reasons why you'd want to work with a a good trademark lawyer, for example, is um, you want to make sure that the wording around that trademark application is broad enough that encompasses what you're doing and maybe gives you opportunity to pivot in the similar space in the future. Um, same with a patent strategy. You know, Your patent application should be well-described and uh, robust enough that gives you the opportunity to protect what you're doing, but also has enough information in it that you can go back and harvest inventions that you may have thought about that can cover some of the future work that you want to do. Or maybe cover a licensing relationship that you want to have. So, if you work with someone, whether internal or externally, your business in the early stage, that's why working with early stage companies is so much fun because it's so strategic. Mm-hmm. If you can lay the groundwork in the early stage that can protect you when you scale, um, you're going to be much better off because if you're trying to protect IP at scale, it may not necessarily. Um, it might not serve you the best, right? It, it there just may be because there may be other brands that are follow on. People might be doing something similar, and uh, you know you, you're teaching the world when you're out there doing stuff. So you want to make sure that you have the best foundation possible. Because I've worked so long, I've worked 15 years almost in corporate America. I've been on many due diligence teams when we are evaluating buying uh, other companies, large or small. And ownership of intellectual property is unbelievably important. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people spend enough time figuring out that it's important to own what you think you own, um, and also making sure that the intellectual property is you paid your fees around it, that the application um, hasn't gone abandoned, and mm-hmm. all of these things. So. When it comes to scale, the best thing you can do from an IP perspective is start out on the right foot.
0: Oh, interesting. So, as an early, so we kind of go back to this early stage model. Would you suggest an audit or like a framework to kind of start the process of building this infrastructure before they meet with a patent attorney, so they have a foundation of you know what they should be looking for to pick the right person or or firm for them.
1: Yeah, I think so, and and you know, you and I have talked about this. It mm-hmm. really intellectual property is or intellectual property protections are commercial tools. Right. So it really could be um, done in collaboration and in conjunction and in synergy with your business strategy. Mm-hmm. And so if you spend time on your business strategy, whether that's a business plan or business canvas. Um, spend time there. You know, I've done webinars encouraging people to spend the time in, in order to get a good IP strategy, you have to have a good business strategy. And if you have a business strategy and we understand that that's going to be iterative, that that's going to change over time, it's not hopefully going change, to change too dramatically, but it will change over time. Um, but that's really designed to stand that up. And once you, you feel good about that, um, then you can map out some IP protections. So if you've got a, a brand idea that you want to, to execute on, um, then trademark protection would be potentially suitable. Maybe trade dress protection is suitable. Uh, maybe copyright strategy is suitable. Maybe a provisional or non-provisional application or design patent application is suitable, right? And how are you? So it 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 goes it goes really kind of hand in hand. And then once you once you're sort of scaling, you've laid that foundation, you're scaling, you're on that J curve, you're taking off. Now it's time for you to Mm -hmm. think about an exit or getting investors. Um, Then, you know, you've got to now prepare yourself for the due diligence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you've got to uh, think about uh, what that due diligence uh, might look like. And so in terms of what we do, we obviously help people with, we can help people with their IP strategy. Uh, We obviously uh, help people uh, procure registrations, trademarks, patents, copyrights. But then also we have a product uh, around IP due diligence. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really beneficial Mm -hmm. to have an IP due diligence report before you enter into that due diligence phase. So it's like buying a house. I mean, you wouldn't want to put your house on the market unless you know what needs to be fixed or that you fixed it, right? You don't want someone coming to you and say, hey, we had an inspector and your 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 place is janky. You want <laughs> to know, you want to know what yeah, the value sure. of your
0: market Right there. Market. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, where do you see the biggest mistakes that small businesses make once they've gone through the process, like, and they come to you, where 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 are they struggling the most?
1: Well, ownership is a big gap, I
0: think. Uh,
1: people don't understand the importance of assignment documents. Uh, people don't understand the importance of getting the language right with your employment agreements. People may not always understand uh, the relationship of intellectual property ownership with the consultants that they hire. Mm -hmm. Um, Many times, young companies uh, will have a a bevy of consultants instead of W-2 employees. And uh, when it comes to copyright and patent protection, um, those consultants actually might own the intellectual property they create for that company without the appropriate employment uh, or consulting agreements assigning intellectual property in place. Um, Those are some of the biggest problems that I see because if you were going to scale your business, if you're looking for investors, if you're looking for an exit with a buyout, with a company buying you out, um, they're gonna care very deeply about whether Mm -hmm. or not you own the intellectual property that you claim is yours. And if you have neglected tightening that up through the process, that could totally come back to bite you. The other thing I see often too is founders that start out loving each other and uh, end up down the road before the even patent even issues falling apart. Uh, you know that founder relationship has has somehow fallen apart. Um, they may not have taken the the steps to get that founder to assign the intellectual property. To the company, if, say, for example, he were a joint inventor on something, um, or he were, you know, a, a copyright holder, for example, or a, an author in a copyrightable subject matter. So those are some of the areas that I see people uh, falter, probably more often than than I would like to see.
0: So let's assume I'm listening right now, and I say, you know what? I have all these consultants. And I don't think I have any language to cover that. What What steps should they take to try to fix that issue?
1: Well, what they need to do, well, first of all, they need to contact a lawyer because I always like to say in my webinars and on my blog posts that, you know, I can give people information, but I'm not giving people legal advice because right. I haven't looked at anything and we don't have a relationship. but. I would say, uh, number one, looking to first do the audit is probably not a bad place to start.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Looking through your agreements to see if there there is language around intellectual property ownership. If you do intend to own the intellectual property, make sure that that language is clear. Um, If you're not sure, then you need to consult an intellectual property attorney. It's not always uh, the party's intent for a company to own the IP. There might be a licensing of the intellectual property if you have a consultant. The point is, is make sure that the agreement says what you believe it to say. And if you're not sure, it's probably a good idea to get an IP attorney to look at it. In terms of remedial measures, like what can you do to fix it? It really depends, Um, you know, and I don't wanna give anybody uh, any advice on this uh, other than to say, um, doing a, a PA, doing an assignment post dating an assignment may not work mm-hmm. um, right people think oh, I'll just post it I'll just backdate this that actually might not work when it comes oh, wow. to assignment property. Hmm. so that's why it can be a little bit more complicated so if if you think that there is an opportunity where hmm, I'm not really sure uh, you need to probably consult someone to take a look at it now going forward it's probably a good idea to get someone to look over your consulting agreements and say, Hey, here's, here's what I want to do as a template with most of my team. Does this look right? You know, pay somebody the time to, to look at it and possibly give you an upgrade because one size may not fit all. Hmm. And uh, you know, I've worked with software companies. Um, the language around software development might be very different than the language around inventorship and patents. You know, if you're someone who's hiring someone to do some software work, that language might look a little bit different in that agreement than if you were hiring someone who might be an inventor to work on, say, a mechanical invention. So um, these things really are nuanced. And you want to make sure that, you know, you're working with someone who works in this space and kind of can spot the issues.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Um... So basically, based on the role, you might need a little different language too, because they're right. working on different things, okay
1: right because the the work will inspire different types of intellectual property
0: yeah so interesting so let's kind of dive into the digital what I call a digital uh presence for these companies because I feel like that's an area where people aren't really thinking about how they're creating value, like they're doing some they might be working with a marketing agency or something and they combine. They're putting stuff on their Instagrams or or they're creating content articles, uh, you know, ebooks, th- different things like that. So, what's your advice for people that are going that have all these digital assets and how to manage that in relation to protection?
1: Well, you know, I always start with uh, compliance, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not going to be in a position to um, create all of the content that goes into the overall content. Right. So for example, if you're, if you're doing an ebook or you're doing a a Instagram post or something, maybe you didn't go out and take the pictures that Mm -hmm. will accompany that content. Right. Um, if you're using, uh, content that was created by another creator, uh, make sure that you have permission to use that, so there's the compliance piece. Mm. You want to make sure that you're not infringing someone's intellectual property first and foremost. Um, so you may want to use the service, um, you know, that gives you. Uh, you may want to subscribe to a service that gives you access to photos that you can use, and that you have the ability to, um, as a result of that subscription augment those photos and, you know, use them for commercial purposes, uh-huh. not editorial purpose. You know, you need to make sure you have the appropriate license. So that's the compliance piece. Um, and then if it's important enough and everything that you do, I'm not suggesting that you go out and get a copyright registration because right. that could be cost prohibitive. Right. But if it's an important piece, you know, if you're really using that um, to acquire customers, like an ebook, Um, Mm -hmm. then maybe what you want to do is get a copyright registration on it. Videos are now becoming exceptionally critical. Mm -hmm. Um, People who are, I was just shopping on Amazon the other day, and people give you such a vague description of how it works, you go to those videos to actually see people using it, right?
0: Right. Um,
1: um, maybe if you're the company and you've created those videos, maybe you want to get a copyright registration on it because you don't want your competitor taking the video that you did mm-hmm. and using it for their advantage. You want to give yourself some, some room to, to grow. So the way I would answer that question is simply make sure that you're good on compliance and figure out what is important enough to actually go the step further and get, um, you know, uh, intellectual property protections around that digital product, because the one thing you don't want to do is run a file with someone else's IP. And if someone runs a file of your IP, you want to make sure you have the ability to enforce that.
0: Okay. So if we go to the next thing is what can, what worries you most about small businesses as it relates to IP protection in the future in this post COVID world, where, where everybody's innovating so fast and with all this uncertainty what are your biggest concerns at, at with this fluid environment we're in?
1: Well, you know, aside from the ownership issues, um, people going so fast that they say, well, I'll worry about IP later. Mm-hmm. In some mm-hmm. instances, uh, you foreclose the opportunity to get intellectual property protections if you wait too long. Okay. Um, in, when we, when we talk about products, for example, and people have potentially patentable subject matter, if they wait too long, they're not going to be able to go to the patent office and get uh, patents on it because there's a 12-month window between when something is publicly available and when you have to go file a patent application on it. Conversely, if you are on a platform like Kickstarter or uh, any crowd, any large crowd sourcing platform or any large platform where it, it could be Amazon, where you've gotten a lot of exposure, um, it's very easy for people to potentially counterfeit a product that's successful or just try and hijack your brand. Um, if you haven't gone through the trouble of getting a trademark application file or getting a trademark registered, if someone beats you to the trademark office, you might be foreclosed for that. So I guess my thing is that people who go so fast and they don't think about strategy first, Mm -hmm. right? Remember I said it's really important to think business strategy, IP strategy, and then sort of commercialize that. Um, If people skip the strategy part, I think it, it, it might come back to haunt them.
0: Oh, interesting. So to kind of flip that question, what excites you about the future as it relates to small businesses and IT production?
1: Well, you know, what really excites me is um, I am, am also really um, excited to try and uncover investment opportunities for people. Mm-hmm. Um, my team, you know, we don't just write articles about IP. Um, we uh, we like to have relationships with, with um, investors, you know people who can potentially um, invest in, in companies. And there are a number of funds that are springing up um, that cater to women, that cater to people of color, that cater to Latinx. Um, and so I'm excited because even though we're in the um, Black Lives Matter uh, movement, you know, it's very distressing to see some of the things going on it's also really uplifting that people are rallying around um, standing up funds to help diverse founders sort of reach their, reach their goal. So I think that even though we're kind of in this weird place in this country, there is still opportunities being stood up. Um, and that really excites me that there is an opportunity for everybody part to partake in this ecosystem.
0: Yeah. I think the goal is, we want to try to create environments where people can maximize their fullest potential, and no, with without any you know things carrying them down. Because I think at the end of the day, founder, no matter what your background, you just want a fair chance to to succeed or fail. Because right, and that's all you can ask for. And some people aren't getting that chance, and they just want that chance. So, so that's that's the beauty in it. So. To close up, do you have any closing thoughts you want to share with the audience and also pass your information? People want to get in touch with you. And I'll uh, put in the show notes the article you mentioned and other ways they can um, engage with you as well.
1: Well, uh, this has been absolutely delightful. Um, Mm -hmm. I would just encourage people if you are in the entrepreneurial space, learn as much as you possibly can, Uh, be a sponge. Um, mm-hmm. you're not gonna be able to get all the information for free out there. I right. mean, you know, it doesn't
0: work that way, right? right so.
1: but, but there is lots of free information and mm-hmm. uh uh, we do pride ourselves on uh providing as much information as we possibly can because when people purchase legal services, we want them to be as knowledgeable as possible. Mm-hmm. Um and so I would say learn as much as you can. Um go to our website partake in our webinars there's lots of we have lots of webinars uh free webinars um every month Uh, we do something different um, because we want to make sure that we educate as many uh entrepreneurs and founders as we possibly can and then if you think that you are ready um, and you have intellectual property needs uh you're a science and technology company we would absolutely love to have the opportunity to work with you they help you grow your business and protect your intellectual property.
0: Oh, that's great. And then before we end the call, I, I do know you're very passionate about founders, and you do have some work you do with f- founders. You know, I know you had a founder to founder speaking. Because, can you talk about that? And if people want to engage with that, how would they go about doing that? Oh my gosh,
1: that's my baby! I
0: love it. Thank you for <laughs> yeah, that. Um, yeah. Yes.
1: So, founder to founder is a uh, is a branded um, dine around networking event, and what we do is we are really all about fostering inclusive innovation. So we we focus on uh, highlighting founders that have scaled their business or are in the process of scaling their business. Uh, we try to focus on diverse founders, so women, people of color, and also people who are not uh, people of color, right? Because we want everybody to see themselves uh, in this process and seeing, and seeing themselves winning in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dine round is so much fun to do. Uh, we, uh, right now are doing it in northwest Arkansas, but we, we have plans to rotate this around, uh, city to city. We've got some exciting things coming up. We've got an event later this month and, uh, our next event, uh, after this month will be in September. And we've got some cool things, uh cool things planned. So it, it has absolutely been so much fun. Uh in the future, you know, we'd love to live stream some of these events, um, but we want to reach as many people as possible to
0: show them that it is possible to do this. Yeah. So uh,
1: people can uh, go to my website, precipiceip.com. And if they scroll down, they'll see all of the events that we're associated with. So events that the firm is doing or events that I'm speaking at, I I do a number of speaking engagements as well. So if you're a company and you're looking for someone to come in and uh, train your team around uh, kind of how to collaborate with other companies, or if you're looking for A speaker to come in and and talk about intellectual property or strategy, that's also what we do. But our events are also on our website. And if you would like uh, to reach out to me, for example, as a speaker for your company, uh, we would love to also uh, play that role.
0: Thank you so much, Marvin. It's definitely been my pleasure.